everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, and all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 129th episode of the podcast, airing February 7th, 2022. Now, in this episode, I'm delighted to welcome special guest Gary P. Caton, who is going to join me in conversation on the Venus-Mars conjunction cycle. And so Gary and I talk about the two upcoming back-to-back Venus and Mars conjunctions in Capricorn and Aquarius that are happening uh, very soon now here in mid-February and in early March. And we extract what these two meetings bring to the fray, along with details on the potent astrological configurations they happen to coincide with. I then pick Gary's brain on the larger cycle of Venus and Mars, as their conjunctions have different qualities that play out over a roughly seven-year cycle. So do you have that seven-year itch? These last seven months between conjunctions may have fleshed that out. So tune in to find out more. Now to see the conjunction charts and Gary's special Venus-Mars conjunction phase diagram, you can tune into the video version of this episode on YouTube. Now, if you would like to support this program, you can do so by visiting my website over at Energetical energetical, energeticprinciples.com. Energetical. I kind of like that new word, energeticprinciples.com, where you can either leave a donation for the program, or you can book a personal consultation uh, with me if you like. And of course, to sign up for my monthly transit newsletter called The Heavenly Wind, which you can get free in your inbox each month. And it is loaded with information of all astrological and terror order. Uh, now, just a quick mention before we get started here that Spencer Michelle is about to have his second webinar for the uh, winter decans uh, called Integrative Divination, the Decans of Aquarius, which is going to air Saturday, February 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Of course, when I say air, he does this live. So it is a two and a half hour interactive online workshop where you'll get to explore the esoteric meanings, the diamonds, the tarot syncretizations, and fixed stars that are associated with each 10 degree section of Aquarius. So if you are an Aquarius, you have some Aquarius, or you are a practicing astrologer that is looking to help your Aquarian clients, you're not going to want to miss Spencer's webinars because they really dive deeply into the Aquarian mythology and the archetypes um, that are behind the sign. Now, it does help with transits, too, really, because we have a lot of Aquarius energy still going on in the skies and are about to have more soon here when uh, Venus and Mars and Mercury move back into Aquarius. But enough about that. If that is something you're interested in, this will be $45 for the the webinar itself, or you can get a full three-part bundle of all the winter series, which is Capricorn, Aquarius, or Pisces for $125. Now, if of course, if you're going to sign up, you're going to want to use my special code of EP20, where you can save 20% off either option. So to sign up and access the code, you can click on the link in the description of this podcast. All right, who is ready to hear all about the conjunction dance of Venus and Mars? Here we go. Now let's meet our guest. All right. I'm so happy to welcome to the program here today. We have Gary P. Caton with us, uh, joining us for a talk on the Venus-Mars cycle, which, uh, well, conjunctions in particular, but I can't wait to pick his brain about all this. So thanks for joining me, Gary. 
Yeah, thank you for having me, Mel. It's great to be here. Yeah. And so I've always, uh, there's many times that I was like, oh, I want to have Gary on the podcast. Um, and just for some reason, uh, after reading some of the posts that you had made on Facebook about Venus Mars cycle, and I saw the two conjunctions coming up, I was like, I feel like there's no better guest uh, to invite onto the program than Gary at this time. And um, I haven't really formally met Gary before. So we, you know, this is our introductory period. You get to all <laughs> listen to it as we talk astrology together. But how I was introduced to Gary was actually in um, 2018 at UAC. I went to go uh, buy a book from Adam Gainsburg, The Light of Venus, and you were next to him at a at the book. Uh, I think you were selling your book, which yeah. is uh, the Mercury Elemental Year, Hermetica Trip Triptica, right yes. here, which is an excellent book. I highly recommend that to um, follow the you know Mercury and the cycle. Um, and I remember Adam was like, "Oh, you can buy this book." Uh, his book and he was signing he's like but the book you need is Gary's and you and you were kind of like you're like oh yeah. but you were already sold out at that point like I couldn't even buy the book it was that's it was my all... bro Adam Adam is uh one of my very best friends in all the world and he's he's really great like that um yeah that's a really cool moment you know and yeah I was blown away like my um you know I was talking to the guy at the bookstore uh Gregory now Nabandian and and uh was like you know and he's like, yeah, just send one box. It, you know, it's your first time, you know, probably, you know, it won't. So it's a pain in the butt to like follow up afterwards and everything. And th that box of books sold out like that. And I was like, dude, unbelievable. I should have brought two or three boxes. But <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That's really cool. That's a great yeah. memory. Yeah. It, it was. And, and in the book, it's funny, the book ended up coming about uh, to me in a different way. Uh, a friend gave it to me after like, right on. A, hand, a handful of months after the fact. And so um, it ended up getting in my hands. But um, and that's the thing that you and Adam both share is you do a lot of work with with cycles. And, and yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Adam was a really key figure in my evolution as an astrologer, you know, um, I've been doing this a full Saturn cycle now, believe it or not. It's kind of hard for me to even believe. This is my Saturn return as an astrologer this year. And um, yeah, I started out as a modern astrologer in the early 90s. You know, like, like that was really the only choice at that point in time. You know, um, modern astrology, I learned from, you know, like Grant Louie and, uh, you know, Liz Green and Rupert. Uh, Rujar and all those, you know, Robert Hand, those kind of people. I basically just picked up every book I could at the used bookstore for like five dollars or less, you know, because that's kind of what my budget was at the yeah. time. And uh, and I started, you know, uh, following my transits. I, I really I learned astrology by I got a really good day planner by this cat named Tom Roma, and I still have his day planner. It's it's within arm's reach at all times on my desk. Um, and I started, it's got really great. He's a, like a Virgo kind of person. He's got really great data in there. And I just started following my transits and saying, okay, this is the transit I'm having today and keeping a journal of what happened. And I just started, oh, okay, like this means this, that means that like this life is going to show me what this all means because I became an astrologer from a dream that I which unbidden, you know, I just had this dream where I saw 
Venus in the heart of the sun. And I was like, what the heck? And I got an old Rosicrucian ephemeris. And for those of you who may not even know what the hell an ephemeris is these days, you don't necessarily need one. It's a book of tables of planetary positions, right? And so I just intuitively, I was like, I wonder if that's like literally telling me. And it was, it was like, there was a Venus Sun Kazemi the day of that dream. And I was like, holy shit. And so I didn't know what the hell to do with that. But I just thought, you know, I just, just, you know, see what happens. Right. And um, so, yeah, I was. And then through happenstance, I ended up hitchhiking through Berkeley Springs, West Virginia in the mid 90s when Project Hindsight was going on. So, oh, oh, my gosh. That's yeah. Right. With him. I mean, <laughs> talk about the incredible fortune, you know, got to hang out with Schmidt and and that crowd. and. Uh, you know, was introduced to classical astrology. So by classical astrology, I'm referring to the entire period from Hellenistic, Greek, you know, up through the Arab Persian era and into the Renaissance. Like to me, that's all the classical era. And then Adam, I met at the, at my second trip to hindsight, which was by way of Michael Earlywine in, in the 2000s. Um, and we were sitting across from each other. It's one of those kind of things where it's like, I made a comment and then he looked at me and I made another comment. And he's like, we got to talk, you know, whatever. <laughs> and and, and uh, he, he introduced me to what I call traditional astrology, which is astrology with your face, you know, visual astrology. He had been hanging out with Daniel Jamario and stuff. And he shared with me Venus's, you know, visual cycle. And I was just blown away. I was like, holy shit. And, and, and so those were like the three sort of, you know, different phases of my, uh, and now I call myself actually a hermetic practitioner. I don't even use the word astrologer to define myself because it's, it's really only one of three of the ancient hermetic arts, including magic and alchemy, which are as, if not more important in my practice at this point in time. So, um, that's sort of the evolution of my, my journey as, a as an astrologer, it's been, uh, in, 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 in terms of like, uh, the grateful dead, it's a long, strange trip. It has been. <laughs> oh, well, it's gotta be, if it starts off with a dream, right? <laughs> Especially with yeah. the, a prophetic yeah. dream of the moment. I'm on a mission from the goddess, you know, as they say, like in ghostbusters, we're on That's a mission, funny. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. I mean, I, I ask a, a lot of guests how they got into astrology. And I think I feel like you're the first one that was called by a dream um, and a very accurate one. Like it was like symbolic. Well, it was Unbelievable. Like, symbolic, how could you but, not follow that? And, the, and here's the thing. Like, I was really disillusioned with um, academia at the time. And I was like, I don't trust this. You know, it doesn't mm. feel right to me. I've got South Node in the ninth house. Like I was already <laughs> figuring out like, yeah, it's not it, you know, and this I could trust, like, I don't know where that came from, but it's not human or it's, or at least it's not like, it's not human in the sense of like socio-political bullshit attached to it, you know? And so I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can trust that one. I'm going to go with it. And yeah. here I am. Here you are. <laughs> you have a, you have a prominent Venus in your, in your. Yeah. Uh, Venus makeup. is at, yeah, she's, she's conjunct Mercury at the vernal point. So, okay. you know, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes sense then. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Venus has called you in. Uh, I love Certainly that. Certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, goddess. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what's crazy about that? I mean, at this point in my career, it's really wild. After the, the most recent Venus Cassini, three days later, and it's funny because I was telling people like one of the things that, that Adam and I discovered in this long, strange trip is that certain certain Venus um, Kazimis, she can reappear at from she transitions from evening star to morning star during the retrograde. Right. And she, Adam's seen this with his own two eyes. If you're far enough north in latitude, you can see her as evening star one day and morning star the next day. Oh, wow. Certain, in, in, only in certain ones of these cycles, though. And this is one of them. And I was saying, like, it could literally be only three days of invisibility. You know, and it turns out three days after this most recent Kazemi, I got a, a letter from a young lady. And um, she's she's the student of one of my students. So I don't really know her. I've gotten to know her a little bit since then. Um, but. Um, she, she was like, you need to know how important your sharing of the Venus cycles has become. And she, she sent me this uh, dozens of pages of testimonials of women she had worked with who were working with the Venus cycle. And it really made a difference in the, in the, and this is all from stuff that I shared with a late, with another lady, her teacher in 2010, which was stuff that Adam shared with me, which was stuff that. Daniel shared with him, you know, which was stuff that Daniel got from a book called Star Trek to Hawaii back in the 90s, you know, and it's like, it's really incredible to see how this stuff evolves and how it, it takes on a life of its own. Like there's a, it literally like there's a, there's a transmission or, or a channel of energy or whatever you want to call it. That is Venusian that, that just beamed into my soul through my soul with somehow. And now it's, it's just filtering out and it just widens into this wonderful beautiful stream and it's it's freaking incredible it's really humbling and beautiful to know that that's happening well it really speaks to the nature of venus to begin with and the connective quality and how yes. it took so many yes. people to come together in their own creative forms to yes. be able to you know bring this to life and it's only going to continue on right and start to morph into different expression i um, love that i love it yeah yeah she would have it no other way exactly yeah <laughs> yeah each person really does make it their own and i think that's really important you know um you know there is no one right way to do anything in my world so i'm not even going to try to tell people i give them what i have here's the way i do it and then invariably each one of them kind of tweaks it to suit their own worldview their own unique you know uh integration of it and i think that's great and uh yeah and and that's how evolution works like like evolution like biologically speaking adores diversity because diversity is the maximum choices available and you never know which one is going to be the one to catch on. And so why not have a lot of them, you know, and I feel the same way about astrology. Like, why not have a lot of them, man? <laughs> it's like, what the heck? <laughs> well, it makes me think of uh, observer effect and um, how important the observer is in what is, you know, perceived, obviously. Uh, but also when we talk about this knowledge, like it takes that individual observer and their point of view um, in order to 
extract and cultivate all the different forms that the knowledge can take. And it makes me think about when you were talking about earlier about, you know, not kind of trusting academia and going into, and then finding the sky view, like that is observer. It's like, you have to observe it and take it in. And then you formulate your own, you know, creative understanding of what that is. And it, and it takes back to like the planner, like the, the, if number one, I tell, you know, astro- clients, students all the time, if you want to get to know astrology, you have to track it. You have to intimately track it, be involved Ooh, with it. Live it um, every single day. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you don't have to necessarily let it rule you because that can be a little overwhelming for people. Like you just live in by the, yeah. but, but just being aware um, of at, as it comes by and, and take note. And as you observe, you, you know, Yeah. And being creative, like you said, I mean, I remember when I first got into it, I was at a, I was at a rainbow gathering and, uh, you know, I, I needed something to trade and I had my day planner. And so I started doing solar return readings based on the lunar aspects on the day of the person's birthday. Right. Cause I was like, okay, we had these aspects. And so the moon's going to progress right through the year. And I was like, and I started testing it out and I was like, you met a person like this planet, you know, early in the year. And then, and they, they were like, how did you know? <laughs> I was just like, I'm making it up as I go along. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked I know. really well. I yeah. know. I, I feel like a lot of people don't, um, or maybe they do, but I feel like a lot of people don't understand how creative astrology is it's it is absolutely i mean it's an art of course um and we do have these specifics that we can look with the you know the uh connections of the planets and the timing and the but the rest of it it makes me think of like bernadette brady and the whole like concept of the eagle and the lark like you could the data will only take you so far and then you need the intuition which is basically the creative force to come in and uh, fill in the the gaps (laughs) <laughs> the two hemispheres of the brain and so forth, the, you know, yeah. the goddess the alphabet and the goddess as it were. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's a really good segue into Venus Mars actually. Yes. You know, the two, the two hemispheres of the brain and the two, the two, because, you know, it's easy to genderize Venus and Mars, but it's not necessarily genderized. It's, it's like um, masculine and feminine, right. Which we all have. We all have those aspects, like in the I Ching, the first two trigrams or, or hexagrams, I guess. Um, they so I've seen them translated as force and field, right? So there's this yang, right, energetic principle of like assertive, energetic, you know, force, right? And then there's field, which is receptive and 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 embracing, and you know, the, but the force only only has context when it's applied within the field if it's not if it's applied just you know that's toxic masculine when the force is applied without any sense of the field within which it's occurring it's destructive and out of balance and whatnot but it's when you can integrate the two of them and apply the force with a full understanding of all of the connections that are happening around it as it's applied that's beautiful that's art Yeah, they're. I I find that Venus and Mars together. I don't know. I, I keep talking about this in the in the um, because I mean they're considered relationship planets, right? And it's not the only thing they do, but it. 
But I feel like we're in a relationship. I think Tara all and I were talking about this, about being in relationship with everything that we encounter. You know, yes. there's there's the effect of how we assert ourselves onto something. And there is also what it comes out of it as we allow to ourselves to receive and, and come in. Um, That's and a so really it's this cool. give Sorry, and take. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's a really cool synchronicity because Tara was at the first Sky Astrology Conference, which we had under a Venus Mars conjunction. So oh, no. <laughs> Tara, I hope you're listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting how the even the astronomy of the two planets bears out, as you said, you know, Venus is moist and Mars is dry, right? Mars separates, Venus, you know, brings together. But also Venus is very steady and regular. Actually, the Mayan astrologers used Venus to calibrate their calendar and keep it from getting out of whack because she's locked into this harmonious rhythm with the Earth which is, you know, the, the mathematical relationship is five, P-H-I, right? It's, uh, it's the, the golden mean, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's this really, she's really steady, really just almost, in other words, her orbit is almost a perfect circle, right? Whereas Mars is very elliptical and erratic. And, um, and uh, in fact, it was, Mars was the hardest planet for, um, what you call him, Kepler, to, to nail down, right? It, it really stretched his brain to figure out how the astronomy of Mars within the heliocentric paradigm, you know? So there's this, they are very much archetypal opposites. Even in their astronomy, their astronomy is, is, is archetypally opposite. So there's this, there's this wonderful complementary and alchemical quality, you know, in alchemy, they talk about the fixed and the volatile and, and marrying these fixed and the volatile and how that is produces this magical transformation. Um, and, and Mars and Venus really are that they are that, that those, that archetypal opposite um, in the myth. They're very much like that. You know, Venus was actually one of the great things about the Greek gods is how human they are, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and, and so they're very relatable. And you know, Venus was married to someone else. She was married yeah. to Hephaestus, who was like her, an artisan. You know, he was he was a craftsman. And so it's a good match. It's an arranged marriage. It's a good match. You know, you think like and like is a good match, right? But, you know, erotically speaking, opposites are it's very hot, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, there's this bad boy Mars and she's, you know, attracted to him. And, they, and, and at the same time, you know, Venus is cool and Mars is hot. So Venus like cools Mars's temper. And then, you know, when he's, you know, exhausted from making love to Venus, he can't wage war. So, you know, there's this idea that, oh, well, you know, hey, you know, even if it's an illicit love affair, it's better than like wrecking the entire countryside. So maybe we ought to like <laughs> just laugh at this. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and um, so there's this interesting kind of, complementary opposite opposition within their mythology too. And they had six children together. So again, Mars isn't the husband. He's kind of the baby daddy, I guess. <laughs> and a baby daddy, he was six children. A prolific um, one. <laughs> yes. Um, Eros and Teros, Harmonia. Those are the children that take after Venus, the mother. And Phobos, Deimos, and Adrestia take after Mars. So they literally had three Venusian type children and three Martian type children. 
just really fascinating, you know? Yeah. And the, well, in the balance that the two, I mean, we think of Venus as being a point of balance, but I feel like there's balance within the, the, the alchemical balance of the arch or the opposite archetypes, right? Yes. Because yes. if, if something is very fixed in its way and something's very volatile in its way, like to find the harmonious, you know, temperance union of it, you, yeah. and that's where we get the creative results and, and the things that are exciting uh, about mm-hmm. opposites and how we grow and we learn, um, from what we oh. encounter by, by having that. And so, yeah, there's that, that push pull force, uh, between the two. And so, and so what would you say now? So here's the thing is we have two conjunctions of them meeting in the sky, you know, intimately fusing together. Um, and it's, it's interesting to have two back to back. I know you might, uh, give us a little more insight into that. So we have one coming up here on February 16th, which will be Mm -hmm. at 16 degrees and 53 minutes of Capricorn, which just happens to coincide with a Leo full moon square the node. So it's a lot of energy in the sky to begin. Yeah. You know, what's crazy about that, (laughs) Mel? Yeah. The moon is in the nakshatra known as Eshlesha, which is the stars of the head of Hydra. So there's the serpent energy that's very sexual in nature and it's Venus Mars. And that happens to be the, also near the place where the last Venus Mars conjunction yes. happened, which really I would say I would group these um, and, and I, meaning Allah Ruperti, would group these as three. There's, there's three conjunctions of Venus-Mars that happen within a nine-month period. And so there's a, and, and, and they all happen without an intervening opposition, mm-hmm. which is important, right? So in other words, there's not a complete cycle. There's like a part of a cycle, and then it goes back, and then there's another conjunction, then there's a part of a cycle. And then you don't get an intervening opposition until after the third conjunction. So... Yeah, that's really fascinating to me. Like, wow, that full moon's right there where the previous conjunction, the first of the three was. It's like, what the heck? So there's that there's that Hydra energy that, um, you know, the Kundalini, I guess you would call mm-hmm. it, sacred sexual energy um, that's intimated there. So, yeah, that's a really potent chart, is it not? Full moon? It, 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 it really is. And to think that, uh, that I, my mind went there too, because that, uh, first, um, the first in the sequence of three conjunctions, um, happened at, what was it? It was like, yeah, it was like 19 degrees Leo. Uh, so it's not too far off that full from that full moon. Um, and it makes me think, well, well I find it interesting too, that yeah, part of July this full 13th, 1949. Yeah, July- yeah. So right. it it makes me think that um, not only is it interesting that lights up that point right before the moon gets full, but one of the big things about this full moon is that it's uh, freshly square the new nodal uh, axis of Taurus and Scorpio, which is another Venus Mars, you know, placement with. Uh, you yeah, know, that's right. The, they're Venus- the rulers of the nodal axis now for you know the next. Five or three and a half years or something like that yeah. between the back you know, to back. A lot of people say that the rulers of the nodes are are really important because the nodes are points. They're not planets and they're harder to access because of that. So the fact that you have the rulers of the nodal axis coming together like this is a significant 
um, access point to what those houses of Taurus and Scorpio, how they're being transformed, because sometimes it's a little bit difficult to access the nodes directly. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're points, they're shadowy figures, right? And the, 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 the Vedic astrologers do a really good job of personifying them as if they're planets. West, not so much, you know? <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, that's so, a great point. Yeah, so uh, in case you're watching the video, I'm just showing the chart of the full moon coming up here on February 16th. It just happens to coincide like about what? It's like an hour or so before Venus <laughs> and uh, Mars meet together. Yeah, so, so the moon's at the south, the north bending there. Yeah. Yeah. And so not far off from our, uh, our and Mars is decan there. Mars is bounds and decan. And, and having, that. uh, Venus and Mars and, uh, in Venus's, um, over there in Capricorn bounds. too. Yeah. 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 Both, both Venus and Mars have dignity in a daytime chart in, in Capricorn. Right. So that's, mm-hmm. that's very productive. It's very like, it's a very productive meeting. This one in Capricorn, they have dignity. They're able to do their thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so it feels like, wow, like, Capricorn, like we could get a lot done, you know. <laughs> As it, well, it's funny because they're meeting, they're meeting uh like within a few minutes of my moon position. So I Whoa. am I am very much interested in how this is going to play Holy out. It smokes. feels it feels yeah. uh and it's funny because the last meeting, um He's my Leo self, always sharing my placements. But uh, the last meeting conjunction at 19 degrees Leo is exactly on my midheaven. So oh, this has been very, this cycle has been very lighting, uh, very much lighting up my chart. Um, but yeah, so I am, as I said earlier, uh, intimately logging what happens <laughs> with these placements Excellent. so that I can yeah, learn from them. Great to see what happens for you as an artist, because, you know, in Jungian terms, the, the mixing of opposites is very, very important in accessing the deeper personality that is, you know, in Jungian psychology, you, you, you know, the persona uh, is the mask. It's the outward personality that we use as a way of interacting with this sociopolitical world, right? Mm-hmm. And then you, the, the, the complement to that is the shadow. It's like all the stuff that, you know, it's not exactly socially acceptable so we kind of yeah we're not going to bother people with that as much um and then beneath that so the shadow is kind of you know hidden and so you have to deal with the shadow and then beneath that the deeper structure is the anima or animus which is the true complement to whatever you're um you know uh consciously not biological necessarily but your conscious you know, gender identity. Um, so the, so the animal animus would be the, the complement to that. And, it, and so it represents this deeper structure that is somewhat unconscious. And, and the integration of that is like a, a wellspring of creative energy. Right. Yeah. I just, I, I imagine well, I don't know what I imagine. I have a feeling I'll be imagining <laughs> many things at that time, but I love how it's just this uh, conjunction is taking place in, uh, yeah, that 
cardinal earth, you know, it feels very formative and uh, creative in the sense of um, something fresh birthing within it. Right. You know, I think of being a cardinal person myself, it's like, it's like, what's next? Where are you, you, where are you pivoting? What are you starting? What is like, what's this found? And we don't keep talking about like 2020 and 2021 about this very foundational force that we're under. And so when we bring these two creative aspects together in a, in a foundational sign, uh, especially after going through a Venus retrograde here, you know, it's a long time coming for that. Just getting through the Mercury uh, retrograde with uh, it's interesting that Mercury is back at the, the sun, um, the inferior Kazemi point at the time of this full moon too. So there's something kind of like a revisiting there and just has, I don't know. It feels like things are just coming together in a sense. Um, Yeah. And yeah. the decan that Mars is in his own decan there too, which is the, the second decan of Capricorn in the golden dawn system. That's, that's rules over the three of pentacles. So it's yes. literally like the Lord of material works is I think their name for that. So it is very productive. And it's like literally the scene in the Rider Waite image, Rider Waite Smith, I should say, I don't want to leave out Pamela Coleman Smith. Um, is, is that there's like um, these two, you know, priestly figures consulting with like a, a workman or so it's sort of like the engineer and the workman meeting and discussing the plans for building this cathedral or something like that. they're getting shit done, you know? So it's, yeah, it's pretty exciting actually. Yeah. It, it has like the collaborative. Yes. It has a collaborative uh, effect to it um, in the sense that, uh, I mean, in in that image, you think it's like collaborative because you have the the master artisan, but it needs the the patron or the person that has the blueprint to begin with, and it's just like you you need those two forces that come together yes. to create something. Um, so it makes me think of how many teams might be born, how many businesses might be uh, formulated or um, endeavors or. Yeah, this could be. And to be clear, you know, beyond the erotic associations, I mean, this could be a wonderfully productive and fertile or fecund, you know, way, uh, you know, for business Uh, because Capricorn. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and there's, you know, the seventh house is business partnerships as much or more as it is, you know, romantic partnerships. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. It feels very, um, very much like it's the doorway out of this, you know, stuck place we've been for a while. It feels like a doorway out of it anyways. Oh, I will open that door. I will walk through it gladly. <laughs> Run. I will say, I, will, I would say, hallelujah. Like you're not closing like... the freaking door on me, man. I'm like, but like the old oh. Bugs Bunny cartoons, like where they, 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 they levitate for a second and their wheels go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, well, OK, so we have that that conjunction on February 16th, but it also then at that point, Mars and Venus just hold hands all the way mm-hmm. until all the way through the end um, of, uh, of the sign. Yeah, oh, I don't know where that's going. My my chart software is not. Astro gold. What's, what's happening? Oh, I know what's happening. User error. (laughs) March 5th, uh, when they meet at zero degrees and one minute, they like squeak over the Aquarius line. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, and then conjunct uh, on March 5th after going through a very interesting experience uh, over Pluto. You know, there, there's a lot that right. goes on yeah. during the, <laughs> during this. Time. Yeah, we, we won't comment too much on what what goes on in the underworld on there. Like that's that's private domain. But uh, yeah, yeah, like really interesting um, how close that is to the great conjunction. Yes. Right. Yes. And as you said, Mercury already activated that point earlier this year, the the Kazemi and both elongations um, activated that point, you know, of Mercury's sun. And so it feels like Again, you know, we've been in this kind of stuck holding pattern for a couple of years. We don't even really know what the Great Conjunction is about yet because we've been in this sort of time out, you know, for and it's like I feel like these personal planets interacting with that are are very much like a transformer in, in an electrical sense, like a transformer steps down the energy to make it more accessible. And so it feels very much like the, between Mercury and Venus and Mars all accessing that point. It's like, okay, now we can grab this and go with it. We can start doing and creating with it. And I, I feel very much um, excited about that part. Of yeah, me, me too. And what, what dawned on me too is that um, it's just, it's fascinating how many uh, conjunctions have been taking place at zero degrees or zero one, you know, those first couple degrees of Aquarius, because that's also where the last Mars Saturn cycle began too at that very same degree. And so to have Mars come to the point of where it met Saturn last Mm. and the limitations of Saturn of that form of Saturn now being there with the creative Venus, which is much more open and and receptive and and a different level of form, you know, like a more of like a motherly container than like, exactly. And so it makes me wonder what is seated at this time that may have been like laden in the whole Mars, you know, mm-hmm. Saturn uh, connection, which yeah. let's see, when did that even, they take a while to do that. Let's see. That was uh, March 31st of 2020 wow. was when they met there um, at zero degrees of, of Aquarius. So it's, it, so it's interesting, you know, it's like, what are the chances of all these planets just having to, you know. I know, right? Yeah, it feels, yeah, that kind of stuff feels like, okay, something's going on here. And um, <clears throat> if I can like tune in with whatever energetic or spiritual or whatever you want to call it, angelic or, you know, divine plan, right? Like then I can maybe surf a wave that's going to take me, you know, along on, on a really cool ride. I, I feel, and I feel like Aquarius. I talk about this long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> yeah, there's a Aquarius does have that um, energy to it, or at least I feel like. Feel like yeah, it Aquarius really. I mean, because of it, the way that it follows Capricorn, Capricorn being you know the nocturnal domicile of 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 Saturn, and Aquarius being the diurnal domicile. You know, the nocturnal. You know, being place of boundaries and enclosement like the, the walls of the city right and then mm-hmm. Aquarius is about going outside of the walls of the city and exploring the unknown really it's about and in, even in if you just think of it in terms of the agricultural calendar you know Capricorn is like that when we get over the you know the hangover from like the Sagittarian party you know and then, okay <laughs> we kind of sober up and then you know we get our SH back together get back on track and then Aquarius is like okay 
remember what the hell we're doing now. Okay. And then we've got a little time before spring planting. So like, let's innovate, let's try something new, you know, kind of thing. And so it's about getting outside of the box, any way you look at it really. And we don't even need Uranus to be a ruler, which is interesting, but, um, but yeah, there is that feeling of like, um, exploration and openness and possibilities within Aquarius that even, even in a, even in a classical sense. Yeah. And, and to think about, I mean, cause it really Saturn's the only one that has this placement where you encounter two signs back to back and to mm-hmm. have that, you know, that the, the feminine or, you know, the receptive energies of earth, then meet that more masculine, uh, outward energy of the air in Aquarius. And so to have those back-to-back conjunctions to me also seems, and, and the fact, like, I mean, they literally have to hold hands the whole time. Like, it's not like one rockets ahead. It's like, no, this is a steady pace from February 16th to March 5th, where they are intimately connected. Um, and so we have this connection of that first conjunction in this uh, you know, in, in a receptive energy that you take in, you know, it's internalized, it's received, and then it gets to a point where it crosses over that edge and can like leave the box and explore the city walls, as you're saying, of, with the outward motion of what those two can do in a more, um, uh, in a faster, more uh, tangible well, I mean, Earth's very tangible, but I mean, just an outward sense rather yeah, than being internalizing. Like, doing, like getting on with life, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, let's make let's make a new world, right? I mean, clearly the old world mm-hmm. is gone. Like, we don't, we're not going back to what we had before. But there's still a whole lot of living to do, you know? And like, we need to get on with it, right? Yeah, this story doesn't end. It's like this. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps going. We know it does end at some point, kind of, in this in some point, but This but, is not the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not. So that being said, we kind of like laid the territory that there have been three conjunctions right. in in a row. I mean, obviously these uh, February 16th, March 5th, they're really tight together much and yeah. much closer than back in, in mid-July there in yeah. 2021. Um, but you know what? What in your mind do these three conjunctions, how do they play a role together? I I know you mentioned something about February 16th being uh, kind of maybe the mo- more potent one or what? Central one. Yeah. 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 If you read Reparity, <laughs> you know, cycles of becoming Reparity very clearly insists that it's the it's the retrograde conjunction. And this one's not retrograde. Venus is stationary rather than retrograde. So it doesn't quite fit his model. But. Um, basically he's saying every fifth conjunction, which is every six to seven years, there's a, there's a conjunction that's in the middle of these three. And the fact that the three occur in nine months, that's like a gestational period, right? So there's this, so it's the center one of these three. And, um, and in fact, even when, even though this one's not retrograde, the, the one in Capricorn that is, it, what's what stands out about it is that it's Mars is passing Venus, mm. right? So you have remember how we talked about the fixed and the volatile, and and like that you know in alchemy they say make the vo- fixed volatile and the volatile fixed. Well, that's what's happening here. The fixed Mars, the slow one, is passing the fast one. The fast one becomes slow, and the slow one becomes fast. Right? Their roles are yeah. reversed. 
So that's why that middle one stands out is because it's when Mars is passing Venus and it's the only one where that happens. So whether it's the retrograde conjunction, which Ruperti, you know, when Ruperti was writing that book, that was, there's a larger picture going on here that we can get into, that we can unpack. Um, That's a very, very extended view of the Venus-Mars interactions. Um, But yeah, whether or not it's retrograde or just stationary, the, the middle one of these three, it's that's what's going on is that the Mars is passing Venus and that's why it stands out. And I think so. Ruperti's correct in saying like that's the one that's going to set like the energetic foundation for the next six to seven years. Um, mm. And so that's the one where he would say, look at that house and um, where whichever house that occurs in, in your chart, focus on that as a place where your values, Venus, are being, you know, reactivated in a new way where you're you're acting on your on either you're acting either on new values or you're or you're um reformulating your values. You know, there's a there's a new beginning that happens from this this mixture of the fixed and volatile. Which is very interesting to me to have it happen at the you know mid degrees of Capricorn and how we're in such a crucial point of time of like talking about values of a business and systems and government and like, you know, like it just feels very par for the course that, um, because we're trying to rebuild so much of this broken down. You see every day there's a new figure, um, head that is being, you know, stepping down or being disgraced or uh, all these uh, like, uh, just, abuses of power and you know (laughs) what's messed up with the system you know pluto yeah pluto and capricorn is kind of uh, you know exposing all the rot of the capricornian structures and and yeah and venus and mars come along and say hey you know you could try something different eh (laughs) yeah you don't have to do it this way we could birth it into new new form creative we could be artists you know like there's that and, and you know what really speaks to me about you said about the fixed and the volatile and the meeting one another and how we have this unique example of um, Mars uh, surpassing Venus first. And so if Mars's influence is coming to fixed Venus, there's a volatile aspect that is being initiated at this. Um, and you need the volatile to ba- break up the fix. So if we're talking about these systems and these orders and these places of power and the, in the people that are in it. That's what Mars does. Mars is dry. It cleaves things. It separates them, right? Breaks them up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you have to we break get- apart the old before you can put it back together into something new. Yeah, exactly. So to me, it's such a, I love that you bring that up because it's like Mars comes along and volatizes the fixed. I think that's a word. I don't know. I'm going with it. Um, And and then, (laughs) and then basically we continue on to have Venus and Mars. uh, Well, it looks like the moon there too, around February 27th, but uh, really from late February into early March there, uh, especially around March 2nd and March 3rd, we have Venus and Mars meet Pluto. Uh, at Mars's exaltation degree. Look at that. Yeah. And so I, and to me, that's like the most volatile, like the, you know, cause I feel like the whole volatile energy of that conjunction just keeps playing out until Venus comes back around to. Fixes it. To, exactly. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then she, she hopefully Love fixes it. Yeah. it. yeah. So, um, fascinating. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Because that, that <laughs> conjunction in Aquarius begins a cycle that will be a quote, normal cycle where you will go through the square in opposition and Closing square in another, like a, like a full cycle, right. With all the aspects. Yeah. So it really does fix it in the sense of like re resuming normal operations. Resuming normal <laughs> operations. Yeah. Cause we've had like nine months of, uh, well, even longer than that, because before that conjunction, uh, back in, in, uh, July, they had made like a sextile in April, uh, you know, that closing kind of, or not closing. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, and then February was the square January, 2021 was the, the trine. And really there hadn't been a conjunction because 2020 was a really weird year for Venus and Mars, their dance, where they just couldn't quite meet, but when they did, it was all square energy. And, uh, I watched that in my relationships, my relationships (laughs) were so, but I also have a Venus ruled descendant. So, and being a Mars ruled chart, it was, um, it was almost comical at times of like how relationships played out and the tension and the, the turning of the page in 2020 because of that, um, uh, the, that squares <laughs> energy and Mars and Venus retrograding. And it was a fun yeah. time. I'm not, I'm not telling what I was doing. <laughs> no, uh, I, secrets I feel, are good. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel you. That, that was like, there was some weird stuff weird energy that year with relationships i'm remembering now i'm like i think i was conveniently forgetting it but <laughs> there, there you go well and it's so funny because it, it's like you know not it's like hardly anyone got away from it like if right. there's anything about 2020 one of the things about the pandemic and a lot of things that uh brought to the surface is a lot of relationships uh you know disbanded a lot of relationships started in on you know unconventional ways or kind of quickly based on the energy. Like there was just this, because when you have time to be with by yourself or with one person, you know, or if you're in business, right. And then all of a sudden the business is not operating because of world situation. It's like all these partnerships and, and cooped these, up you know, together and cabin yeah, fever. And, yeah, yeah. It's like how compatible <laughs> <laughs> is this more volatile really? or is this more? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that was an interesting um, energy. And the last time they met in conjunction before that was in August, 2019. So it was an interesting dance between summer of 2019 to summer of, uh, of uh, 2021 with the conjunctions there too. But um, Gary, I want to pick your brain about like the larger cycle at play that you were alluding to. Yeah, this is like really, this really blew my mind when, and so I I got turned on to this first by Robert Blaschke. Um, You know, I was a really big follower of his. I have all his books. I mean, guy is an incredible astrological mind. And um, he was a blogger for TMA. He was blogging for TMA. And I had just started blogging for TMA. So I was really, you know, on top of following his writings. And he wrote a blog for TMA where he mentioned the the aberrations was the word he used in the Venus Mars cycle. And I was like, aberrations in the cycle? Like what? Like that sounded, you know, kind of dramatic to me. And I was like, what the (laughs) heck? You know, and, and, and and, and he was talking about how the cycle that Ruperti identified in his book was not 
happening anymore. It was, it was falling apart. And like, you know, we could see changes in, in society that were, were, were reflective of this. And I was like, wow, wow, really? <clears throat> and I was like, okay, I have got to understand this. So I went, I, 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 I printed out 2,500 years of Venus-Mars conjunctions. Every single morning, first thing for an hour or so, just like went through them and like just total Virgo, like just I'm going to pick this apart until I understand it, you know. And um, my 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 hunch was correct that this aberration that he was talking about was really not a one off thing. It was actually part of a larger cycle, about a 300 year cycle, which actually I came to call the 300 year epoch, <clears throat> because in historical terms, 300 years is a pretty, pretty solid chunk of time. You know? yeah. And um, and what's really interesting about it is the, the aberration part lasts about 100 years and it's very erratic. It's very much like Mars. We were talking about the nature of Mars astronomically is very erratic. And so there's this part of the cycle where it becomes very erratic. And then there's this other part of the cycle, which lasts for 200 years, that is very regular. And that's the part where, that Ruperti got. He, 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 he um, graphed out the 200-year part exactly right, but he never mentioned this 100-year part that, that Blaschke brought up. And, and so um, I ended up writing like a, uh, a huge essay, like I guess you would call it a, you know, it's, a, it, it's probably even a small book if I you know, re, redid it. And hopefully I will at some point, but I did like a 2,500 year astro historiography where I looked at the socio-political, you know, situation within these 200 year periods versus these. And what I saw was like, essentially the 200 year period was what we might call a renaissance or a, um, it's a flowering of a particular it's like cohesive, right? Venus is cohesive and, and nurturing and like something some cohesive socio-political principle flowers into being and then it and then it dies and falls apart during the Mars crisis period. So the Mars, you know, breaks it apart and things fall apart and things get crazy and then it comes back together and then it falls apart and then it comes back together. Literally, the one of the last erratic, you know, aberration period, whatever you want to call it, before the one we're in right now historians across the board refer to it as the general crisis. You know, it's like a, just everything's all effed up, essentially. <laughs> like, you know, just like, one big that, crisis that, yeah, everywhere you, know, you one, look. You know, yeah, generalized crisis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's like, wow. And, um, and, and so, yeah, um, I, and, and so, you know, and that was, like I said, we, we decided to do, Adam and I decided to do a sky astrology conference in the Bahamas in 2015 around this Venus-Mars conjunction that was happening with the moon at the vernal point. We were like, that would be really cool. And so, and I was like, what the hell? And so I researched this, what I would call the Ruperti fractal, which is that five conjunction you know, where every fifth conjunction Venus is retrograde and it just repeats for 200 years, 32 iterations of this fractal. It's very regular, very dependable. Da, 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 da. And what happens from a sky view is that it follows the Venus visual cycle as it evolves from morning star through evening star and then in the retrograde rebirths the cycle. So 
that you'll see like the first conjunction happens in the morning sky and then the next one happens a little bit later in the cycle and then you transition to a couple of conjunctions in the evening sky and then you get that retrograde one or like now the stationary one which is just after the retrograde and just after venus has re-entered the morning sky right so morning sky morning being about beginnings and and you know and stuff so I was like, okay, like, I don't know if Ruperti got that, but, you know, it, it does kind of back up what Ruperti was saying from a visual point of view. Yeah, that, that one is a new beginning because it's, it's morning. It's like, it's a new beginning. And then, it, and you can see like how the five conjunctions go through visually. I actually have uh, tracked that. I'm going to share, um, for those of you who are watching the video, I'm going to share what I'm talking about with respect to the current cycle. So, so Venus just recently after the retrograde became morning star again, right? You can see her low in the east just before dawn. And so Venus and Mars are meeting um, and the, you know, in Capricorn. And then a little bit later when they meet in Aquarius, they'll be a little bit higher and brighter. Mm -hmm. And then a couple years later, they'll meet Venus is a little bit farther along in her cycle where she's already become high and bright and she's in that descending part of her cycle that long slow descent before she goes invisible at the superior conjunction and then finally they'll meet with an evening star conjunction at, and then as number five and then the whole cycle will will begin again you know and so this is when i really became like um convinced or or like i really got what Ruperti was saying from like Ruperti was right like this one is the one to focus on because it's literally the beginning of a, a of an evolutionary cycle that you can see visually in the sky venus progresses through her visual cycle along during these five conjunctions um so that was really interesting to to figure out um and 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 see like how the visual astrology was backing up what Reparity was saying, and uh, yeah, it feels like um, it feels like there's like this organic unfolding or evolution that happens over this, and it makes sense, right? Because six to seven years, like that's the fabled seven year itch. That yeah, I know. <laughs> so many cycles seem to be playing out in that. Like you know, a lot of people year. talk about seven year cycles with like Saturn and the progressed moon, but Venus, Mars are the relationship planets. And that's so it makes true. sense that they have a six to seven year cycle. And yeah, and it makes sense that like, if they go through this, journey together where they're going along and then morning star and then evening star and then something happens where it re if your relationship doesn't reset as the relationship planets reset something's going to be off and the, and the relationship's going to grow apart and you know like there, there you have it. the itch is gonna you know you're going to be wanting to scratch the itch of that new beginning and if you can't scratch it with the person you're with you're going to be, you know, well, feeling that vibe from somewhere else, you know, it kind of just makes sense organically speaking. And it speaks to what we were talking about earlier uh, with the Martian energy coming in with the, you know, with the volatizing uh, yes. the union and um, you know, are you, are you on the same page? Are you, on, you, do you, do you want to put energy 
into a unit. Cause that's another thing with Mars too, is it's like, where do you put energy? Like, (laughs) um, and so that that's makes so much sense to me. And it's interesting to see here in, in the diagram too, with that first conjunction that we're talking about February 16th, uh, 2022 at 16 degrees of Capricorn and how, when you get to that underworld, uh, conjunction, uh, on the fourth one on January yeah. 7th of 2026, it's less than two degrees away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So do you, do you have any, do you, any insights into like kind of like yeah, the that pre-meeting? seems to be that seems to be a pattern that repeats, and I think it has more to do. Michelle Finey wrote a book on the Venus Mars cycle where she looks at the thirty-two year fractal with their relationship, mm-hmm. and she strings them into what she calls Sero series. Um, and I think it has a little bit more to do with that. But like the last cycle, you saw a lot of meetings in Leo right? The last six to seven year cycle. So the, the, the signs within the six to seven year fractal, the, what I call the repair T fractal, they tend to repeat. The signs tend to repeat within that fractal. So last time it was Leo that repeated twice like that. And it was literally near the same degrees. And this time around, it's the Capricorn degrees that are repeating. So yeah, I would say that the way that would be experienced is like the first cycle, because it's first, it's something new. It's like, it's like the test drive, you know, it's like that awkward phase of the relationship where like, hey, you know, this feels great. I would definitely want to try it. But, you know, we're still figuring out how we line up and like it, maybe it's not working, you know, totally great yet. But, you know, we still want to try. And then by the time you get around to that next conjunction in Capricorn, it's like, yeah, we know what we're doing. We know what works for us. And, and we're we're just like ready to to build on that first exploratory phase and really take it, you know, to a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, it's fascinating to look at in in this (laughs) regard, you know, it's always, it always blows your mind. It's easy to focus on astrology and a really pinpointed in this moment, you know, what are you experiencing now? Or like, but when you pull back into cycles, it's, it gives so much context and so much, um, like it really gives a, like a container that you can hold the moment and you in that that the moment becomes more fertile and fecund because it's being held it's being contained and bounded by this larger space and there's 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 room to move and grow you know it feels like yeah for me like that's a really really fundamental part of how i do astrology is that there is really no singular moment that all moments are bookended by a series of it's like everything is parenthetical basically like there's whatever you're looking at there's what came before and there's what comes after and it's the what comes before and after that contextualizes any given moment you know and it's and, and it's only with all three of them can you really fully get it i think yeah. And so when I saw you uh, put this chart up on Facebook um, some time ago, I feel like it was like not too long after the uh, last, the conjunction yeah, that been, was during yeah, Ju- right. July. In, in July. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, people are talking about this conjunction, like it's new love, you know, like, no. And you're like, this is a closing a out I was like, this cycle. This is an ending and- of a seven year cycle, man. It's not a beginning. Like we're, we're not even close to beginning yet. Like you need to get ready to enter a liminal place. And, and like, let go. Yeah. You're, you're so right. Like I knew it when I, at first I was like, oh, and then of course I like, I went and like printed out this whole like chart of like 
all the conjunctions were, you know, the last, like, since I was born, basically, <laughs> I was like, okay, let me look at this in my life. And I, I did this pairing of the three, you know, really? the five, one, Great two. For you, oh, though. immediately. I am like, I'm my, you're Saturn a woman after Virgo, my own I'm heart. Like, <laughs> that's, that's such a, that's such a thing that I would do. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I was in there. Um, but <laughs> I recognized that I was, I recognized that in my own life. I mean, I was saw, saw it playing out and that's wonderful. I was I like, you need, preach the, preach the message, right? Because you it go. Isn't... test it out, right? Take it for a test drive. And if it works, like keep driving it. And yeah, it spoke to me a lot. And I feel like it's a message that needs to get out more in the astrological community, especially when we have like drive by astrology these days just uh, talking about like, I know, I know, I'm sure we, you know, on the one hand, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really happy that there's a really huge diversity and influx of new energy, but yeah. That's another thing that I, you know, that I wanted to get to here is like, you know, the last six to seven year cycle, having begun in, you know, Leo, it seems like it has to do with like that whole, like really sort of like, you know, influencer type energy of like, you know, post a selfie with a catchphrase and like get a bunch of followers and like, you know. I'm not dissing Leo, but there is that aspect of like glitz and glam. You know what I'm saying? And no, I do. <laughs> not necessarily that deep, but, and I say not necessarily because Leos can totally be deep and I, and I, and I love the Leos that are, but it's not necessarily that deep always. Whereas with this Capricorn cycle, I feel like it's going to be more about like OG credentials, you know, like, you know, like time tested you know, battle hardened, you know, principles <laughs> that are, you know what I'm saying? I like, do. Well, it makes me think of an experience. I mean, that's what Saturn yeah. is all about. It's like, what, what do you have to back this up? How, how, yeah. what's your discipline look like? How yeah. long have you been putting effort in and what have you yeah. constructed uh, based off your practice? I mean, that yeah. is. So, so yeah, like if, if, you know, for, so if somebody, you know, began under that influence of that Leo, you know, like influencer energy. It's like, it's a call to like, get serious and really deepen and, and systematize and all that stuff. And if not able to do that, it's, it's likely that, you know, it's going to fall by the wayside. Whereas somebody who maybe got sort of overlooked during that Leo influencer glitz glam period, but has been doing their steady work all along might, might be brought back up to the surface are brought back up, you know, um, into the light because of that, their, their work vibes more with the time, like Capricorn's sexy again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, that's, I think it's a Capricorn moon. I'm like, Oh, it's always, sexy. <laughs> you're like, Bring um, this is never <laughs> one anymore, but it, it speaks to me what you're saying, because what we're talking about is, is honing in a craft and what is your craft. And to me, Venus and Mars, and especially in the Deccan of the three of pentacles and what we were just right. talking about earlier, um, of that, yep. that Mars and Capricorn energy, uh, what, what is your craft? How, uh, you know, like, how are you taking the creativity part of it? The, the receptacle, the, uh, yeah. the, yeah. Uh, are you, are you building a temple or are you just like having a, you know, uh, an outdoor rock festival? Cause I mean, you know, Woodstock has lasted the ages, but you know, it was a temporal thing. There is no actual temple, you know, that you can go back to per se. And they were really kind of unable to recreate that energy right yeah Whereas, it was a one shot 
<laughs> you know, it's kind of a one-shot deal. And there's nothing wrong with that. One-shot wonders have their place. But yeah, the Capricorn energy is more like building a, a temple, like, you know, the Notre Dame Cathedral lasted a full Jupiter-Saturn cycle, you know, a full Jupiter-Saturn through the elements cycle, <laughs> you know, 800 years. But that's a whole nother deal. Yeah. So there's, a, there's an endurance that comes along with the Capricorn mm. energy that I think is really cool. I'm looking forward to this, of course, being, you know, being a being in my Saturn return as an astrologer, I feel like I've I think think I've earned the OG credentials. <laughs> I, I think yeah, I think you put in the work, Gary. I think you. Uh, <laughs> I feel like if you make it to a Saturn return uh, in your practice, whatever that practice might be, it, you know, you know what you're doing, and it, and it's probably a turning point around what the actual practice is. Uh, I would venture to say, uh, because usually it takes us to a next level experience or maturity in what it is that you do um, and put effort into. So. That's so, so I yeah. want to congratulate you on that, Thank by the you. way. Of, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm tooting my own horn a little bit here, but, but, but or, or, or I'm, I'm, I'm nudging you to toot my horn for me. So I will. Me. I am a glad tutor <laughs> of horns. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, what's really interesting when I went through this 2,500 year deal, um, some things that just get, that got my attention and, and they're sort of witchy intuitions as much as anything or warlocky, I guess, if I, if maybe, it, you know, I, I can be a witch, can I? I you um, can be, yes, to each other. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the first things I noticed is that like in this period, a lot of people say they want to compare the American empire to like the uh, Roman empire, right? And we're, you know, oh, we're at that stage where it's the fall of Rome. And what they mean by that is the fall of Rome that was when the, you know, Goths sacked Rome. Like, you know, and I don't see us as being there at all, actually. The, the parallel that drew my attention was the what's called the crisis. And remember, that word comes up again and again when I was looking at these Mars periods. The crisis of the Roman Republic, which was when the Republic of Rome transitioned to the imperial dynasty of Rome, like ruled by emperors, right? Rather than ruled by Senate and democracy. Mm -hmm. um, because what you had was you had this, you had um, really interestingly, there were two brothers by the name of Gracchus. And they were collectively, they were called the Gracchi. They were like these reformer political figures and they were assassinated um, because of the reforms that they brought about. And there was this, like this breakdown of the way that politics would generally practice and became like, you know, and then you had like, um, you had Sulla became a dictator and like you had, and he wasn't really the first Ptolemy and, uh, and Sulla, you know, like they turned their, there was civil war, they turned their armies. And it was only after those two that famously Caesar turned his army against the, the republic and you know began the imperial you know era and so you know if you think about if you go back to this this hundred year period of aberrations as Blaschke called them began around in the 1940s and there were two brothers in the 1960s by the name of Kennedy who were both assassinated you know and it's like whoa like history that's Gracchi and Kennedy don't exactly rhyme, but it seems familiar. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. um, and it makes me wonder, like, are we waiting for like some kind of American Caesar, you know, and was that Trump? 
for instance. Like, I don't know. Um, but it, it feels like, wow, you know, um, interesting. Another period was the Viking invasions happened during, you know, and like that's total Mars breakdown. Like there was literally, and the Vikings just, I mean, have you, have you seen that series? I guess it was, I can't remember. It was on, um, it was on cable originally. I watched it on Amazon, I think, but, um, you know, the TV series. Just called the Vikings, right? Yeah. 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 I feel like I saw a couple episodes, maybe, but I didn't carry through. I love that. I love that, man. It was really intense. But yeah, they, they, they came upon, you know, this, 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 um, you know, these, these um, unguarded temples that were rich with booty, you know, like gold and silver and, you know, these that were guarded by monks, the unarmed monks. And they were just like, oh, yeah, yes, please. And they just like raided and took all this bounty. And like, you know, they found like this, um, this, this rich, you know, this, this uh, resource rich land that they could just plunder and did so for like a hundred years of like, just, you know, causing havoc everywhere and everything you know it's like that's really reflective of um the kind of energy of that mars you know that 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 we were talking about of like you know and it forced it forced a re-examination of values and it forced them to learn how to get along like they had to learn how to make peace with the vikings and live alongside the vikings and you know and there was and all that um and and then, you know, th- during this period, you know, during the 2000s, we had this invasion of big tech, you know, where, you know, like the, the big, you know, there was this resource rich land called the Internet and it was plundered by like Google and Facebook and, you know, all of these big, you know, they just came in and like, you know, let's grab all the data and like use it for our own, you know, nefarious purposes and blah, blah, blah. And so it's kind of, you know, there was like, um, that's when podcasting took off. You know, I started podcasting in 2008. There was literally like a handful when you searched on iTunes at the time, there was literally like a handful of us doing astrology podcasts. And now there's like dozens, maybe even hundreds. I don't know. <laughs> you know oh, like, there's a lot out there. There's a, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I think is awesome, you know, because the guy that, I mean, my buddy, Kelly Lee Phipps, I'm pretty sure he was like the first astrology podcast. Um, his book was called, you know, Celestial Renaissance. And I think I'm sure he's looking down on us and saying like, yep, I told you so. Like there's the Celestial Renaissance that I was talking about. It's happening, you know, and it's really pretty incredible. Um, so there's so and I feel like, you know, astrologers are sort of creating that the sort of heaven that the internet was supposed to be where it was supposed to be like this free university and like experimentation and and whereas like the big tech created this sort of like you know more like the jupiter saturn and earth version of like monetizing everything and like monopolizing everything whereas the the astrologers were creating more of the aquarian version of the internet which is like you know um innovation and 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 all that um so you know we're sort of it's interesting because the Venus Mars cycle overlap on that was like this period where there's this disruptive technology that enters and it's like different people did different things with it, but the technology itself is not going away. And we're going to have to figure out like, what's the next level. Like a lot of people are talking about web 3.0 and what's that going to look like. Right. And stuff. And so, 
there's a lot of opportunity, I think, to kind of go into that realm of whatever Web 3.0 and, and like we get to decide what it's going to be by doing. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Pretty exciting. It, it is exciting. It makes me think of, um, well, when you were going through like the like the examples of the Romans and the Vikings and it. It made me think of, uh, well, it made me think of war and peace just in general and how they're just yeah. natural aspects of, of living and being human um, yeah. and how, you know, essentially the war aspect or the crisis aspect, there's some, you know, as people were out for something, which is very uh, Mars, you know, energy. Yeah. But the reality is, is that we have to live together and that's the Venusian mm-hmm. part of it um, and where she yeah. brings in issues of fairness, you know, as you're talking about the plundering of the internet and, uh, (laughs) and, and people getting their data, you know, like the collection of data and data being the most, um, lucrative industry for, uh, in, in the world. And like, how is this fair? You know, how is this, um, legal to some extent. And, uh, so we got to look at, you know, the like aggressive, like the aggressive forward action, which is essentially the Mars component. How is that balanced out and how does it uh, affect the people and the, you know, the connective quality and what's fair. And if we're aligned with value, which is definitely something I talk about on the podcast all the time. It's like, we need to be living and acting uh, from our values. And this is right. another point of that Mars Venus, uh, coming together. Um, Got and, it. yeah, really well yeah. said. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's we're at that intersection of like, how can we go forward and act on our values and live, live out our values without this sort of toxic masculine, you know, plundering aspect of what, you know, like, can't, can't we do better than this? And I think we can, and we will, you know, but it's like, that that sort of plundering aspect is like it tends to right in the middle of this hundred year period there's literally a, a cycle where it's like the longest venus mars opposition it's like the, literally the longest possible time between conjunctions happens and it's like that's where the crazy shit that's where the war on terror happened you mm-hmm. know for instance that's where the really it's like stuff breaks down because there's like this literal there's the longest period of time between their conjunctions where they're, the the distance, the time between them, it breaks apart and it, and things break down and there's this plundering and like, that's just part of the deal. Like shit happens. And, but now, yeah, we got to go forward and figure out a way to do it without that. <laughs> With, <laughs> because Without that. <laughs> yeah. Because well, you can't I, just like live like that forever. Like that's just chaos. That's anarchy. Well, that's, exactly. And that's the whole nature of Venus coming in and smoothing it over where Mars, right. you know, so, brought, brought yeah. the crisis and we'll never, we'll never get out of that pattern. That's just the nature of, you know, cyclical reality and growth as, yep. uh, as individuals and as a, you know, um, community. Uh, right. so it's, we're, we're in it. Hopefully we evolve along the way. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like it's happening. I feel like, uh, I think, I feel like astrology has, I mean, has really evolved. It's like I was saying earlier with that woman who shared with me, like just how far the Venus cycle teachings have come. And like, I think the, that the nature of the discourse overall in the astrology community, and it may just be reflective of my own echo chamber, I don't know, but I like to think that the level of discourse has, the bar has been raised quite a bit over the last, even over just the last 10 years. And that's really exciting to me because like, 
I, we can do better. There's a lot of things we really need to do better on. There's a lot of, you know, and I have plenty of different axes to grind. I won't necessarily bore you with any of the particulars about any of them, but yeah, we can, I think we can do a lot better and there's a lot of room for innovation. And, and it's exciting to me as somebody who loves innovation to just be like, yeah, like let's get out there on the frontier and like discover and innovate and make it happen and, and, you know, make web 3.0 a reality and live our values and create this, you know, sort of not necessarily utopia, but like this better world that we thought the internet could help us create, you know, let's do it. Mm, That makes me think of uh, just, just the timeline that you were, um, I know this isn't really quite part of our Venus and Mars uh, talk, but just the timeline that you were laying down there and thinking about how we're about to be approaching this uh, Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces and how the last one uh, happened um, at 24 degrees of uh, Aquarius and in 2000, in December of 2009, and I know that's a little bit over 10 years, but thinking about, yeah. yeah, just kind of like to go along with what you were saying and that expansion of the, you know, the, the, well, the knowledge, yeah. the information, the astrological, yeah. uh, you know, contra- contribution, right? especially having, yeah. you know, Aquarius be the seeding of that. And then where, Pisces kind of takes that over and can muddle it a little bit, right? You know, we're, we're definitely, definitely deluged with a bunch of different, <laughs> uh, you know, options and energy and some not. Soup. Stew, it is maybe. a very, yes. <laughs> um, and we have to, we have to sort through that. We have to sort through that Piscean sea where, you know, not everything is quite. That's the positive the integrity. Mars. And al- and, yeah. In alchemical sense, the sorting, the dry, right? Sort dry, Mars is dry. So Mars can like literally fracture stuff and break it or mars can just be like hey let's sort through this soup and that's like pick out you know some the stuff and like let and that's the next level in alchemy is what that's how what's called conjunction in alchemy happens is you have like this sorting that goes on and the sorting is really interesting it's a part of the myth of psyche as well like she has to sort through these seeds like i don't know if a lot of people are realize it but like it's sort of the 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 feminine version of the of the of the herculean labors like psyche uh, aphrodite gives psyche a series of labors right mm-hmm. to and some one of them is sorting through this pile of seeds so there's this sorting that happens and the sorting enables like a gathering together of things that are actually compatible and that's how you get out of the crisis mode and into the next regular you know fractal is that you have to do the sorting and then you have to do the bringing the moist bringing together of the sorting of stuff that actually you know that will will adhere and you get that and then you get that what's called the lesser stone you know and the lesser stone is like the step of like the next whole next phase of of the alchemy so yeah that's a really good point like yeah there's some sorting to do just by the nature of like it's just too much, you know, and you have to, for your own sanity, you have to be able to pick and get and, you know, and make your own sort of like, you know, spice blend, if you will, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, what tastes, you know, go with, you know, the kind of, kind of stuff you like to take in. And, um, and yeah. And so that's kind of where we're at. And yeah, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to what the next, you know, like, um, next 20 years of my career and seeing what people come up with. And, and, um, you know, I still have a lot of work that I'm 
I, you know, what I want to do is I actually want to, um, you know, buy back my time where I can just like create a sacred container where I can just do some writing. Cause I have all of these ideas. I need to freaking get them down. Do you have, that's right. This is the point. This is the point yeah. when you take all that knowledge and you dedicate and it like to actually, the legacy. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at, but and so, yeah, I'm happy that there's lots of people like, you know, because I'll probably have to take do a, take a break from the podcasting to do that part. Right. So I'm really happy that there's people like you carrying the podcasting torch. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, more power to them. And yeah, it's exciting. I think that the, the, that Aquarian sort of, you know, the new age vision of Aquarius is, is a little bit not realistic, but um, at the same time, there is a like it's not completely unrealistic either like there's this definite there's a definite diversity to the astrology community now and there's a de- like you said almost an overwhelming diversity in the piscean terms of like and that's a good thing because like from that there's a lot to choose from and you can take in there's all of these like you know um conjunctions of different things that can come together and form and form even more you know next level stuff so yeah. Yeah. This, I think that these, these Mars Venus conjunctions can be really powerful tools for us to consciously, um, choose to align with, um, with that force within us, right. That, that force that brings together this, the fix and the volatile and, 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 and allows for this magical birth of this new creative thing that's going to come out. And yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, me too. Uh, because I mean, you think of the two of them come together and there's kind of this completeness to some extent for a small period of time. And when you have completeness, it's like you have all the tools before you. It's like, you don't, you have all the resources at that point in that like little period of time that can, you know, start the mission or hand the baton over, you know, you think about the delegation of the, you know, being switching focus um, to what you want to create next. You know, that's another thing too, with Mars being very focal point of energy and that creation, it's like a good, like, what have I already created? All right, we'll, we'll let that go. And now I'm on to my, my next project, which is very Capricorn, I would say. Um, but now I always, uh, I always like end programs with key, like this is hard for a lot of us word wordy people. Um, I'm glad you gave me a heads up because I stumped me, but yeah, I got a word <laughs> you, for you. Oh, good. Because it's, uh, I was yeah. like, if you had one word and people look at me like, are you crazy? I have <laughs> so many words. Um, <laughs> so if you had one word to describe uh, each of these conjunctions, and I don't know if you want a word for the Leo one back in, I'm springing this on you. You don't have to, but because yeah. thinking about the pair or the triple type of oh, energy, right, right. but um, but especially with, Yeah. February. Yeah, let's see March. what I can do. So, so yeah, that was like in the, in that third decan of Leo. Right. So that's like, you know, oh, I think it was in the second, it was like right at the tail end of the second, like, what is it? Th- okay. It's so like 19 and 50 okay. something minutes. <laughs> so like finding your sacred Leo roar or something like that. Well, that's not even one word. Is it? Roar? I know. I would, <laughs> roar is the word. Roar. <laughs> Rar! It's like the ending roar, kind of. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the ending that is the sort of 
um, seed of the beginning, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, the word for the Capricorn one for me would be Saturnalia. Mm. You know, because there's this, there's this very alchemical mixing of opposites where they would have like, you know, this festival where the, the, the master would become the slave and the slave would become the master. And like, there, you know, people were like, you know, getting it on in the alley and like social conventions were pretty much like tossed aside for a short period of time. (laughs) All kinds of stuff was going on. Um, So, yeah. And that's typically associated with that, with the Capricorn, you know, time of year. So Saturnalia just feels like a natural word for that one. Um, With Aquarius, I would say uh, for me, frontiers, like Mm. getting out into the frontiers. Yeah. So, I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It is. It's, it's but like, it's a good exercise. It's it a good is. exercise, right? Reduce yeah, it to its bare minimum. <laughs> we have so many words, and sometimes we have so many words. We're like, what are we saying? I mean, we know what we're saying yeah. to some extent, but when you have to like finite it into one word, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole nother level. From like you had like Facebook, gate, like you know. It's like what they call micro blogging and then tweets became like a certain number of characters and then one word like that's pretty darn minimalist. <laughs> that's that's yeah. about as minimalist as you can get. You can't you can't have half a word. <laughs> I mean maybe but uh if it's hyphenated but uh <laughs> Yeah, we could do that. Fill in the blank to get the word or something, right? <laughs> Oh the, the thing my goodness. Curse words where you like use the the the, the other characters to like ma- disguise it a little bit or whatever. So it's not quite the F word, but it's it is. <laughs> but it still is. It's still it's the masking of the the underlying notion that is being that is being shared. Right. Um yeah, so no, that's that's excited. I'm excited. I mean, it's on my moon. I'll let I'll let you know. For me, I guess the words. Yeah, moon, we but should, that's private. I should definitely <laughs> make a point of checking in with you at some point during the cycle, and we can come back and maybe with the other conjunctions and like revisit or something. That'd be yeah, fun. that's a, that would be great. There, um, right I do know I'm wor- I'm working on uh, some some writing and some teaching projects, Excellent. and that's a third house Excellent. affair for this. Right? Capricorn third house moon. So uh, that could definitely be uh, appropriate for that. And I'm Go looking at uh, at uh, relocating. And so, you know, Aquarius uh, is my fourth house. So there's all that's taking boy, place. That's a really crazy talk about disruption. I mean, my God, the real estate market has been insane. Uh, don't tell. Uh, well, that's interesting with Venus and Mars coming together and Capricorn and all the Taurus activations of Uranus yeah. and the North Node coming. You know, there's more to be shared on that story. Uh, right. Yeah, that's um, so hopefully, hopefully the the gods will do me good. It, you know, it's funny when you were talking about, um, well, when we were talking about Jupiter, Neptune real quick and like, I forget the whole uh, phrase and it might be controversial too, but I just, and I'm from the South, but uh, it's like, Same here. let God, let God sort them out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, <was thinking> about, <laughs> I, I know there's something <laughs> right. that goes before that, that is a little uh, rough, but yeah. Um, but it just makes me think about like just the whole idea of like uh, faded interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Of, like, of- and that's, you know, that's how my last move occurred. Like, you know, my wife was ta- was saying she needed to move. You know, her mom was needing she needed to be closer to her mom. And I was like, honey, I don't know how to get there. Like, like, 
what you're asking me is like, I don't know how to do it. Like we're going to need divine intervention. And that's what we got, you know, and it was really, so, so yeah, never rule out like the divine intervention, man. Like sometimes that's the only way stuff can happen, you know? Absolutely. The faded Well, and to play off of what we were just saying about Venus and Mars and how I think that the, the, the divine faded aspect is a very crucial component of all what is Saturn's building is because, I mean, we're talking about Capricorn and Aquarius back to back, and we're talking about foundation and we're talking about plan and we're talking about vision and we're talking about future potentials. And so we have this like idea, we, ha- you know, we, we kind of have the steps in place, but there is going to be that divine component of all that Piscean energy. And especially when the eclipses come uh, with Taurus and then having so much ha- happening in Pisces and the ruler Venus conjunct Jep- Jupiter at that time, right before that conjunction. Yeah. I think there That's is just fun. a lot of like, we're going to have to wait for the fate. Wait for the, that sounds like a bumper sticker. Uh, we're going to have to wait for the fate uh, to come in um, to yeah, really those, help those develop the plan. Doorways, right? And that's what the nodes really represent to me a lot of times. Like they look like doorways or gates, you know? Mm, yeah. It feels like there's sort of faded gates that, that like, you know, you know, you, you wanted something, you were trying to make something happen, and then all of a sudden there's an opening and you got to seize it, you know? So there will mm-hmm. be that carpe momentum. There's moment. that Mars, <laughs> right? You got to right? go wait for oh. the fate, gate of fate. There we go. That's yeah, the, there uh... you go. You got it. You got it, Mel. Wait, wait for, for I have, uh, I will have a Shopify. Gate of fate. That's, my new, with that's a... my new, I'm going to steal that. That's my new term for the, for the nodes. The Get in there. Fate. Get in there. Gate ah. of fate. Gates of fate. <laughs> oh my gosh, Gary. It was so fun talking to you about all you things too. Venus and Mars and, and beyond. <laughs> um, um. Yeah. So, well, where can people find you? What do you got going on? You got any courses, workshops, et cetera? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So my website is dreamastrologer.com and uh, be sure that you sign up for the, all the main stuff, all the main links and stuff right there on the front page. So sign up for my newsletter because I'm going to be sending one of those out pretty soon. And I'm actually doing some magic with these Venus Mars conjunctions. Like, Mm. um, I got some Kama Sutra coins in the, I got these coins like with the Kama Sutra images on them. So, but not all of them there. Some of the elections are more for like, like you said, like business opportunities and some of them are more for like spiritual love, but there is definitely the erotic aspect there. The Saturnalia. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to be doing some, so I'm going to be doing some magical workings with those and I'm going to be sending out like a um, sample I do a magical report every month. And so I'm going to be sending out a, a shorter sample version of that with the Venus Mars stuff sometime in the next week or so. So make sure you sign up for my newsletter if you want to get that for free. Check out the, the, the special offers page where if you like all this conversation, I have a, what I call a bundle of lecture, a lecture bundle, which is like basically all the talks like like I said, I gave this material at the first Sky Astrology Conference. All of, you know, I did have lectures that I recorded. The, both of parts of the essay that I mentioned, like all of my Venus Mars material put together in one bundle and you can get it for like 35 bucks, which is cheap because I think it's like at least seven lectures. And so what is that? That's like That's a steal. Steal, a, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then if you want to sign up for, to be a member, we're one week into one week or one month or 
one lesson into like a six lesson series that I'm doing with my members. Um, and, and the members get that magic report that I was talking about. Um, so there's that as well. And then, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think I've got, as far as dates, I'm doing a, I think I'm talking for Baltimore Astrological Society in March. There's a page on my site for that too. So with all my, I'm, I'm talking, I'm going to be with Astrology Hub later in the year. And then um, Stormy Grace YouTube deal after that. And I'm missing somebody. I think Astrology Society of Connecticut later. And I think I got everybody. This there. is what your website's so, for. It's like, it's like, <laughs> that's what the website's out. for. Yeah. It's like, that's There's, how you keep track of it. <laughs> yeah, dreamastrology.com. Check it out. And, uh, and hope to see some of your people. And, and, and I'm going to point my people to you as well. I hope that they check out what you're doing. It looks like you've got an incredible, you know, like really diverse range of people that you've had on your show. And you can, Congratulations for for you've made it you know a good ways here now you know pod fade is a real thing it is it is I had it I I engaged with it I used to do every yeah. single week and then I went down to like a month and now I do kind of by month but or by weekly yeah. yeah I went through that yeah you know sure. you just gotta feel it out but I you know yeah. I'm rounding the bend here in April will be four years of podcasting and awesome. um and yeah thank you thank you and I just I enjoy it that's like one thing why I haven't like even if I had uh-huh. a lull for a moment here and there it's just like I enjoy conversing uh right with another you know a like mind and and that gives me joy so you you got to do what you enjoy, right? I mean, that's like exactly. the secret yeah. of, of life. Other people seem to enjoy it as well. So even better. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you for all that. Listen and continue to stay listening uh, with me. But that's another thing with Venus Mars. It's like, do what you enjoy. But just adding that exactly. in there. Follow your um, bliss. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, where can you find me? Uh, which I will always, you know, I always share a blog post on each guest that comes on. So just in case you didn't catch Gary's information, I will definitely have it over on the blog post at energeticprinciples.com on my newly redesigned website that I'm uh, just, I like, uh, I don't know. I, that's, that's what I did during the Venus retrograde, basically in my third house, uh, Uh, was it? Yeah. It was a redesign, restructure. It was, it felt good. Um, awesome. So come on over and visit me there. Uh, you can visit me on the old Instagram at Energetic Principles um, and uh, sign up for my mailing list, the the Heavenly Wind. If you want to get all the details for the month ahead, uh, February, February's just went out, but um, I periodically check to see if there's new subscribers, and I'll send it out for those who subscribe mid month or whatever. Uh, but come check. Check that out. It's a lot of information uh, with transits and uh, a tarot, elemental tarot forecast. And of course, my branded animal ambassador, as um, a lot of people like out there, including myself, got to engage with those animals. So come on over, sign up for that free newsletter. Um, And really, yeah. And if you like this program and you want to share it with a friend, you know, sharing is caring, spread the good word get it out there, um, leave a review where you listen to this because it helps elevate the podcast to be seen in search functions and the good old algorithm. Um, and yeah, so I think that that's my spiel there. I want to thank you again, Gary, for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mel. It's been a great, great time. I hope we can do it again. Absolutely. You are welcome back anytime. 
So, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, we wish you the best during the Venus-Mars conjunctions and beyond. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm-hmm.